0: Well, welcome back. We're here um, at the tail end of the fourth century. And uh, I know this was an all-important century to talk about. But before we leave this time period, we want to discuss one of our favorite and probably the most important uh, theologian in in church history outside of the writers of Scripture. Uh, But before that, uh, Brad, would you like to open us in a word of prayer? Sure. Let's pray.
1: Father, we thank you for this privilege, this opportunity to look into the annals of history, Lord, and find not only uh, the world going at full pace, but your work in the world through your church, uh, making an impact in such a way that we are sitting here today thinking about Scripture and thinking about why we understand Scripture the way that we do. And today, as we uh, look at this giant among men uh, who considered himself a a great sinner and did not think highly of himself at all, but this man, Augustine, we pray that you would open our hearts to the truth, not of this man's theology, but of the word of God. We can't get there without thinking about him, though. So help us to learn today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.
0: Lord, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless till it finds our rest in thee. Uh, That quote, or something very similar, came from the pen of St. Augustine, uh, or St. Augustine, as some of you may know him. I heard one historian or theologian say that St. Augustine is in Florida, St. Augustine is in heaven. Yes, (laughs) Yes, Augustine is is more the academic uh, favored.
1: academically favored way of saying his name but either
0: one will do so i I think first off we're going to cover his early life leading up to his conversion to christianity right so rev if i were to ask who was the most important person in bringing augustine to to the faith how would you answer that
1: well it, it would have to be his mother uh i've said for years that I am a Christian as a result of the prayers of two women, my mother being one and my 10th grade biology teacher being another who put up with my shenanigans before I was a believer. But my mother prayed uh, fervently and consistently for me. And certainly this is uh, the case with Augustine. His mother, Monica, was a Christian who desperately wanted her son to be saved. Augustine, though didn't want anything to do with this mother's religion he thought it was weak he thought the bible to be a crude book had really cared little for the things of god uh, in fact he was a he's pretty he's a pretty wild boy wasn't he neil
0: hey, he was he not only stole for the sake of stealing um, but he he continually from the time of, of a teenager throughout uh, up until his conversion uh, had mistresses in whatever town that he uh, lived in at the time so he was he craved very much he had a, a sexual appetite
1: yes again you know i'm always interested to hear people say something to the effect that uh things are worse now than they've ever been oh my goodness uh you don't have to go far in history to realize that uh licentiousness has it, it has, has reigned in in all ages and augustine was particularly uh attracted to the opposite sex, and loved dalliances. He had mistresses uh, galore. He had an illegitimate son. And so wanted nothing to do with uh, his mother's religion. But Monica did not give up. Uh, She persistently pointed Augustine toward Jesus and prayed for him and Augustine loved his mother, uh, but sort of tolerated her. It was Right, mm-hmm. yes. Sort of uh, with a bemused sort of a, an attitude. Uh, but uh, but both Augustine's mom and dad recognized early on, this, this is a brilliant boy. And they did their best to further his education. When he became a young man, he pursued the uh, discipline of rhetoric.
0: It was kind of like a lawyer without the law. It's... Tr- being trained in argument words, uh, how to speak and convince people through uh, words oratory and and writing and uh that that his schooling took him all over the Mediterranean and uh, served him well I, I think it provided a hunger not only for argument but later on, as we'll see, the search for truth yes uh I-
1: I- initially he was not concerned about truth uh, mm-hmm. only sought to know how to argue best and to win his argument regardless of whether he was right or wrong just didn't care about that but uh, one of the great orators and one of the great rhetoricians I suppose you would say of uh, uh, of earlier days was Cicero of Rome and so once uh, Augustine read Cicero who was also a philosopher he began to recognize that it's not just important to win your argument, but it's important to pursue truth.
0: And winning the argument at that point for him um, didn't mean as much if it wasn't the true true end of the argument. So I think he gradually shifted from argument for argument's sake into seeking the truth, which both later served him uh, as he found the truth and was able to argue in favor for it.
1: You know, one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit in this class so far is the impact of philosophy on theologians, church theologians. Uh, Augustine, before he became a Christian, was attracted, because of his reading of Cicero, to uh, a a religion called Manichaeism that was similar to to Gnostic Christianity, wasn't exactly uh, that, but uh, from a... 2nd century, second or 3rd century 3rd uh, century I right. believe Manny was Manny. in the 3rd mid 3rd century um, and by the way this is a good point for me to a good place for me to point out there's just an avalanche of information in this class and there's no way we're going to get it all right so you may be sitting at home at times saying that's not right and you would be correct in saying that occasionally we're just testing I'm you. sure yeah that's right <laughs> so you look it up and see when uh, Manny lived but uh, nonetheless, manichaeans were very much dualist, right. uh, like Plato had been, um, but they had sort of a religious bent to the that, that, that Plato didn't even have, and and they looked at. The world is divided between the material and the spiritual, and that was quite appealing to Augustine. Uh, they also required a very moral lifestyle, and that's not necessarily that wasn't <laughs> that attractive to Augustine, was it?
0: I, I can understand from his point of view probably why he sort of stood back from them for for quite a while. He was considered a quote unquote hearer for for about nine years, and if we were to translate that, he'd be attending church. nine years without um, dedicating himself, without being baptized and and joining. So as a manichee, he was very intrigued by the dualism. Uh, It sort of quenched his appetite, his question about where does sin or bad things, evil come from. But uh, yeah, I don't think he joined because uh, it would have put a stop to his his mistresses in, in that life.
1: Right, and, and Manichees believed that uh, matter is evil. Uh, and so uh, Augustine <clears throat> continued, though, his uh, his pursuit of truth through philosophy. And he began to see that his mother's faith was intellectually compelling, actually, when he had earlier thought that it was ridiculously compelling. Um, untrustworthy or had no redeeming value at all to it.
0: Yeah, he really berated or thought low of, of Scripture because you know it was an old, cluttered language, uh, not cultured. Um, the arguments were poor. A lot of the passages were violent and that sort of thing. But uh, I think once he had that quest for truth, um, th- there was no sating it until he found Christ. But he, he had very... He had several steps along the way before he came to truth, and uh, one of those after Manichaeism was, um, was Neoplatonism, where one of his uh, teachers, actually one of the teachers who uh, also taught Ambrose, uh, who we'll talk about in just a few minutes, uh, came to him with Neoplatonist writings, and that sort of sparked in him. That answered a little bit of the questions um, academically that would... Um, that would help out his thinking uh, and still answer the question of where does evil come from. I mean, there was more of a unifying factor. But along this way, I think there was a story about Monica and, and another bishop yes, that really played uh, an interesting um, part.
1: Y- yes. Uh, Neoplaton, you're saying it's a unity. Li- just to add to that a little bit, um, Neoplatonism didn't see so much as this g- very distinct Dichotomy. It certainly divided the world up in between the material Mm -hmm. and the spiritual, but they, but saw the connections and the unity there, whereas Manichaeans saw it as so separate that all material is evil, and went so far as to say that uh, procreation. Having children is just dirty. It's it's wrong, and so they encourage people not to. And that's why we've talked about in the past that some people look back. I think most people don't really think about this, but uh, Gnosticism was actually a threat to civilization itself, Western civilization, because if you've got a group of people saying it's wrong, and this yeah. appealed to a lot of intellectuals uh, who were very much into philosophy and moralism at the same time, so they are saying.
0: Don't have children. So if you followed it to its logical conclusion, none of us would be here right now.
1: While uh, Augustine was uh, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And we are here. So Manny did not prevail. Uh, While Augustine was a Manichee, his mother desperately wanted him to be saved. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, would you please talk to my son? Mm -hmm. Would you please talk to my daughter? And I do really what this bishop did. Uh, I just say, it. if if he or she will come to me and ask me to talk, I will do it. But I am not going to initiate a conversation because you just don't get anywhere. And this bishop said, uh, no, I, I won't do it. And Monica pled with him and finally grabbed hold of his over his and cloak and, and said, please, you must talk to my son. And he said, let me go in peace. It cannot be that the son of these tears will be lost. Mm. And how true he spoke. Now, here's this man who is known for his doctrine of predestination. In fact, a doctrine that was not widely accepted until many, many years later, uh, who would say the prayers of my mother are one of the primary reasons that I'm in the kingdom. What is that? What is that about? If God does all the choosing, how do prayers have an impact?
0: Because God does the choosing. (laughs) <laughs> because that's so, our, our prayers are effective, that we go to the one who's making the, the ultimate choice. And, and I think later on in his life where we read in his own writings, he recognized that that God uses the prayers of his people, and in his case, his mother. And you know, we have the benefit of looking back on his life. Uh, his mother was, was living it with him, praying for him at that time, very desperate. But we can see that it was all in God's timing. That He, mm-hmm. Augustine had things that he needed to work out before God could grab a hold of his of his heart. Uh,
1: that's that's really well said, Neil. I I think we want to begin to to move toward now Augustine, um, beginning to see that Christianity was logically valid, um, but. Uh, it wasn't enough for Augustine. He recognized, mm. okay, it's true, but he also wanted to keep keep up with his lifestyle. So that, in one sense, kept him from giving himself completely over to, to God. But there were times that he tried to reform himself and found it impossible to do. And how often do we hear this testimony? Uh, then one day, Augustine is with some friends in his home, and he's just so distraught that he leaves them he goes out to a garden and he hears children saying take up and read take up and read in the next house they're playing Now he's familiar with the children's games it's, they've been saying as uh, brian borgman says and you'll you'll talk about borgman in a little bit if they've been saying ring around the rosie then he probably wouldn't have given it another thought but this was an unusual chant and he sensed that this is directly from god and so
0: he responded He did, and and he responded wholeheartedly. I think he was more intellectually honest than a lot of us, that we are, that he knew the truth, but he also knew that he was not part of the church. But if he were to become a part of the church, he would have to do it completely, 100%. And he did not want to give up that life. But when he did, uh, when he heard this message from God, he he understood that this 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 voice from the other side of the garden, t- telling him to take up and read. He took it as a message from God. And because of that, his heart was captured by, I, I believe you have the verses.
1: Yes. Um, when he heard them saying it, he took up the scroll that he had been reading, which was the book of Romans. Uh, he was exploring Christianity from an intellectual uh, point of view. But now this is touching his whole being. And he goes and he and he says, Lord, Whatever you lead me to read, I am taking this as a message from you. So here's how God says And, and look, we, we, wouldn't con- we wouldn't encourage people to do that. We wouldn't right. say open the Bible and put your finger down. But l- listen to the verses, thinking about his life. Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires.
0: Powerful can, impact. Wrap the gavel now. That was what he needed. That was the voice of God. And we see the inspiration of Scripture by the power that it has to convert on the spot.
1: And and, and Augustine points to this as his conversion. Um, it's quite interesting... Uh, that at this very moment, Augustine vowed to remain celibate for the rest of his life. Why would he say such a thing?
0: Uh, well, I think he was wise enough to know his limits in the flesh. That he, he knew um, what he craved, and what he craved was not right. It was it was evil. It was sinful. So he did the best thing, just like Christ said. You know, don't let anything keep you out of the kingdom. And so, so he did. He um, he got rid of whatever would have kept him from serving God wholeheartedly.
1: I I think a lot of people would look at that and say, well, that's legalistic. Um, And in fact, it's almost a a good work salvation. Uh, Absolutely not. Uh, Augustine knew that without God's intervention, he was doomed. In fact, what Augustine was doing was repenting. Now, it was a different Mm -hmm. time And I wouldn't expect very many people today to respond the way that Augustine did. Heard a preacher one time say that I wish someone would ask me, do you have to give up chewing bubble gum in order to be saved? And I would say, yes. Well, this man was a preacher of the gospel. He knows that we're saved through God's working in our hearts and bringing us to Jesus and causing us to repent and believe In Jesus' death on the cross, as payment for our sins. But his point was, it's a heart matter. Repentance is a heart matter. Whatever stands between you and God has to be uh, disavowed. Now, unfortunately, we repent of the same things over and over. And Augustine would not only not claim to be perfect from this point on, he would fight the very people who said you needed to achieve perfection as a believer. Not only Mm -hmm. before he was saved, but after he was saved, he realized his limitations and his need for God's grace. But in this act, in this vow of saying, I will live celibate, I will not allow sex to be a part of my life. Now, he went overboard with it, where in his book, The City of God, one of the most memorable passages is where he talks about how uh, he almost implies that that sex in and of itself is, is is wrong, which we know from Scripture that it absolutely is not. It's been defiled by man, and it, when it's right. defiled, it's really defiled. But it's ordained by God. And Hebrews says that the marriage uh, bed is honorable uh, and undefiled. I think
0: that we can pull this out and, and marry it up to one of our themes as a class, is that we're going to see um, how the church... Influences culture, but also culture influences the church. That initially, uh, Augustine knew his weaknesses and he wanted to stay away from those temptations. But he carried it to the point because I think he still had some Neoplatonist thought rattling in his mind. Yes, that he wanted. He actually started a, a monastery, um, and, and a whole monastic order known as the Augustinian Order was created after him. In And uh, he, one of his rules was that every member needed to stay celibate. He wouldn't even allow women inside the monastery. And to one extent, that's good because he recognized his own temptation and and weakness. But also, he still thought that sex and and procreation was a necessary evil. Those were still remnants of Neoplatonists rattling around in his mind, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. And it was also, you know, of course, his his personal experience. But... It was his understanding of life that sort of impacted uh, the way that, that that he moved on. That uh, a couple of things I think we would have to say before we move on to Augustine's um, life as an early Christian and then as a um, a, a bishop. Uh, first of all, Augustine recognizes he looked back on his. His conversion, that an intellectual understanding of the gospel is not the same as salvation. What is needed is a divine work of grace in one heart, one's heart. Uh, Augustine, and the other thing I want to say is this, Augustine had repeatedly tried to quell his passions, but he needed God, as Brian right. Borgman, Borgman says, to expel these ungodly affections and replace them with love for him. And, and the Lord did that. I, I think anyone who comes to Christ... At an age of say sixteen and above, understands that I think many of the people watching this this video would have come to Christ at a much earlier age. But if you have struggled with the the the, the passions of the flesh, then you recognize that you can't just stop well, it you're saved without him. some yes and but but and salvation often is it just moves our affections immediately mm. toward God and we mm. follow Him with that same passion at least for a while and then. We're reminded that the flesh still lives within us. Well, Augustine started this monastery uh, and uh, then uh, um, found himself pressed into service as a bishop. I guess we should say a little bit about Augustine, uh, how he was converted, uh, in addition to this. But what led up to this conversion experience in Milan?
0: Well, yeah, he was traveling, looking for work as a professor of, of rhetoric, and uh, he found his way into Milan because of, because of a teaching position. And it just so happens under God's providence that uh, Ambrose, whom we talked about last week, very uh, passionate and powerful preacher. Um, Augustine initially went just to hear his oratory, how he spoke. And, and because of the work that God had begun in his heart, he not only heard the way in which Ambrose spoke, but he heard the message, that was spoken in from god, and and that I think is what um, gave him not only the academic because Ambrose he was able to touch on the academic side but also impassion him too that Augustine recognized the truth of Christianity but then also recognized that it, it was much more than academic assent
1: augustine. Um... Uh, often found a lot more than he was looking for. You know, he he starts studying rhetoric and he ends up searching for the truth. Mm -hmm. He goes to hear Ambrose uh, speak because he was so widely known and well-respected, highly respected as an orator, and he finds Jesus. It was not at church where he trusted Christ, but it was because of the, the preaching of the word and the Lord's ministry, the Holy Spirit's ministry of the word mm. that brought uh, Augustine to Jesus. And Ambrose baptized and probably having no idea of the gifts that this man possessed and how mm. God would use him. Sadly, his mother died that year. Mm. Uh, Monica died that year. But thankfully, she saw him converted and she knows it now anyway. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and as we said before, once that conversion took place in his heart, it was 100%. It was wholehearted. Uh, not only did he end up uh, creating a monastic order, but uh, he gave up uh, all his mistresses immediately. And I like, again, one of these anecdotes, these stories from his life is what brings him into um, relationship with us. It, it makes it real. Is that one of his mistresses saw him in a crowd in town one day and is trying to get his attention? He's Augustine, it. it it is I. Do you not recognize it's I? And and he had to turn and and walk away and said, "Yes, but it is not I." And, and what did he mean? Yeah,
1: yeah, well, he he said, "You may know Augustine, but Augustine can no longer know you." He recognized this was a a weakness of his flesh. It was much like well, today we would do it different ways. We have accountability partners, you know, men. Mm -hmm. Especially all recognize the struggle with the flesh, temptations of the flesh. Augustine just essentially cut himself off from women uh, whenever he could. And uh, we would have accountability partners in in protection on our accesses to to pornography. Uh, That was just his way of dealing with the temptations Mm -hmm. of the flesh. Well, we're going to take a a, a short break and then we're going to come back and talk about... Augustine's battles. Welcome back to the class. I said just before we went to break that we would talk about Augustine's battles. What I meant was his theological battles or his battles with theological opponents. Um, Augustine had begun this uh, monastery and was loving life. Uh, and, And Augustine, having grown up in North Africa, was back in North Africa And he went to a town called Hippo, not far from Carthage, and uh, where we've heard so much about the Lord's work in that city. Um, So when Augustine just happened to show up one day in church, and he was, as Boardman says, gang-pressed into being a bishop. This this kind of thing happened. But he was there, and someone said... Augusted bishop and the the crowd liked it.
0: it, it it's amazing. It, I mean, it's so foreign to how we think, but it, it was normal, almost normal yes, in, in that time period because no one don't
1: go to church no. if you know anything about scripture because they're going to make you the pastor. And Here no one, we run pastors off, but yeah. there they said, "Okay, you're our pastor."
0: And no one wanted to be a pastor, a bishop, um, because it, in that day. They thought if you were a true, if you really wanted to be serious about your Christianity, you didn't become a bishop; you went to the monastery. That's right. And uh, here he is, one Sunday, um, out of the monastery, in the service, and almost forced to be a a bishop. But it was a good thing because uh, had it not been for his position as a bishop, in order to argue um, three very notable uh, issues, we may not know. About him, we may not be dedicating an, an entire class towards this man.
1: Yes, and I, I think uh, his debates with these opponents um, bring to light a couple of very important principles about debate, theological debate, especially. There's a danger when we debate someone else, and it's really the the temptation that Augustine had long before he was a Christian. I'm sure he had to struggle with this mm. as a believer and as a leader of the church. The, the, the tendency or the temptation is to care more about winning the debate than it is about the truth. And in fact, we see this remarkable, um, I'm not going to say shift, but clarification of Augustine's doctrine because he refused to do that, care more about winning the argument than about uh, the truth. Now, it just so happens that he shifted his, he clarified his position because of a different debate. Uh, but that is the benefit of theological debate, is that it gives us the opportunity to to say things more precisely. A lot of times we say good things, but if we really thought about it, we could say better things.
0: We, we may not know precisely what we believe until we're forced to articulate it.
1: Exactly right. I mean, how, how many times have we seen that? You're interested in all of a sudden about uh, the deity of Christ because right. you're working with the Mormon. And they're oh, yeah. saying that Jesus was not God. And Jehovah's Witness, you know, saying mm-hmm. he was a God. And that's what the Scriptures said. Well, no, it doesn't say that. But you don't know that until you start studying and you're challenged. So this first group was uh, the Manichees.
0: Manichees, yeah. He, and he was yeah. very familiar with the Manichees because he was a here. He was among them for, for several years. And I think what drew him there initially was... Um, it, it uh, satiated his questions about where evil came from, so there was a dualism. But later uh, we see, after his conversion to Christianity, he had another beef with them that not only did it um, not answer, even their smartest teachers didn't wasn't able to answer his questions as a Manichee, but now as a Christian he argued with them about the, the freedom of the will, that um, the Manichees, ironically, because the, the Manichees as... The dualists that they were thought everything was predetermined, and yet Augustine was arguing for the freedom of the will, which is yes, almost
1: the opposite of what he would argue later. But again, the um, all the uh, the finer points of these arguments indicate that he was not as uh, wishy washy as some might want to point right. to and say you were wishy washy. No, uh, there 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 are. Are subtleties there that uh, I think are lost on a lot of people? But it is interesting. Predetermined. They, they, uh, Manichaeans were fatalistic in a Uh sense. Everything happens, Mm -hmm. you know. That's everything happens because it has been predetermined. And Augustine says, "No. Well, the the will is free. And we look at me. I'm, uh, you know, I used to be here, and now I am Mm -hmm. here. I made a choice, but." he would recognize, uh, especially a little bit later in his debates with Pelagius, that um, uh, a lot of that was predestined. And there's a difference between pre- right. fatalistic and, and and predestination, fatalism and predestination. Um, anything else you want to add about uh, his battle with the Manichees? It's really not much to say here. But,
0: uh, yeah, I think only just to add to the point that you already made, that uh, there's a certain aspect in which man's will is free but there's also a certain aspect that uh, we're under bondage and determined and you said well that pre- God's predetermining does not negate uh, our freedom uh, and, and neither is it the same as fatalism.
1: Yes, now this, we'll say some things that may seem a little bit technical and we'll be happy to work this out online and uh, in person. Um, before we get to his battle with Pelagius, there was uh, uh, quite a battle with the Donatists. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about the Donatus.
0: Yeah, since that uh, was one of the questions yeah. that no one answered That's right. in the it, previous it, yeah. week. Yeah. Yes. It, it is a tough subject, um, and, and I, to be honest, I don't know as much about it as I probably should. <laughs> but like many, You know more than the rest of us. <laughs> but like many movements... Um, it seemed to pick up steam and create a life of its own even after the, the person for whom it's named um, passed away. So the Donatists followed the theology of, of Donatus, uh, I believe, in the 3rd um, century. And what they believed during the whole lapsed controversy is Christians who were under persecution would renounce their Christian faith in order to save their lives and they donatists believe that no these people can never be readmitted in the church we are the pure church the church is only made up of of believers and as such we're very um, moral morally pure and therefore only our baptism counts and only our deliverance of the lord's supper counts as admittance into the, the pure church
1: I, i'm not sure if this was donatist or if this was just all part of the mix of that a lot of people waited until uh, their deathbed to be baptized because there was also this idea that yeah. if you sinned after you were baptized, uh, there's no chance of heaven. You you are not you cannot be forgiven of that sin. That's boy, that's I would want to wait too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't put my finger on exactly where that began, but I'm sure that it was somewhere in the fourth century that that really theology took, took off. off. Yes, and it's very odd because um i'm sure that was around during the time of uh, augustine's controversies but he also held to a different view of baptism that we'll probably touch on a little bit later uh, actually about,
1: this uh, is actually a good time uh okay. to talk about baptism because uh and i may be not know exactly where you're going we'll we'll work it out that's one of the things we're going to have to do here folks there's no script um, <laughs> that's right um Actually, Catholics and Protestants both look at Augustine as their man. They consider Mm -hmm. him, he is the greatest theologian in the history of the church, and he belongs to us. Um, And if we had to divide it up, we would say because of his doctrine of the church, he's Catholic. Because of his doctrine of grace, he is Protestant. Now, uh, baptism and communion, the, the sacraments, that the church practiced in that day. Of course, the Catholics would add many to that and right. may have already had a few at this point. Um, but the, the the sacraments of baptism and communion, the Donatists said only a certified priest and one who has remained true can do it. And Augustine is saying, no, no, no. The, the, the priest has nothing to do with right. that because this is Christ... It, Extending his grace to the believer. And this is where we have a a question about his uh, view of baptism. But Christ is working through the priest to do for us what he has deemed important. Now, Catholics, uh, in fact, uh, Augustine uses this this Latin phrase, ex opera operata, which means by the work worked. Mm. So it, it... in other words, the work itself is what is important. Protestants would say, "No, no, no, no. That you, if if the sacraments are not received, if communion is not received by faith, then it's by meaningless. Faith, yeah. So it's it, it's it's a symbol of your faith, but it is not the means of God's grace being extended to you."
0: And I know that was even a question that we had talking about you know, how does what the Catholic Church believe Augustine said relate to what he actually said? Is he arguing for grace being given, you know, saving grace being given to the partaker of, of the Lord's Supper and baptism? Or is he arguing that, no, it's not the person who gives it, but under the authority of Christ it's, it's received? So that's still a question to be answered.
1: It is, and, and and you would think with Augustine's five million words that he wrote and all of the books that he wrote that, that we could come up with that answer. I, I, I started to say at the beginning of this session that uh, we have prepared more for this session than any other, and we've prepared less because there is so much to say about Augustine that uh, you're just never going to run out. But that's one of those questions that maybe would be good for people to investigate. What did he mean by ex opera operata? Did he... Was he saying that God is ministers his grace through communion, through baptism? Now, I would think that a lot of people look at the Catholic system and say, that's just works. Only by your good works can you gain entrance into heaven. Mm. I don't think Augustine meant that. He, he certainly would have had more the idea that this is the way that God extends his grace to us. I mean, Baptists. You you know, those Mm. of us who come from Protestant traditions, we sort of have our own ways in which we think God extends grace, like walking an aisle in the service, praying the sinner's prayer in exactly a certain way. And we see in church history, I mean, Augustine's uh, conversion is a great example um, of God using many different ways to bring people to Jesus.
0: Yeah, I think he, he clearly understood that, salvation is a work of God and, and this is one of those terms that we may hear in theological discussions is monergism or, or one energy it's, it's the work of God alone that saves us so that really does bring up the question is how did the Catholic Church take what he wrote against Donatists and use it for their uh, what we may call baptismal regeneration or the grace being conveyed to the partaker of of the Lord's Supper.
1: It, you know, it's exactly like you said earlier. It's the interpreters of a person hmm. who really begin to define mm-hmm. who he was, whether it's true or not. Right. Uh, and so that's why Catholics and Protestants both. We're going to talk about why Protestants look so highly to this man and how important he is in the way that we believe. Um, I, I, I I would say uh, about. His fight against Donatus. One last thing that makes the Catholic Church so fond of Augustine uh, because of Donatus, who was saying we are the true church. Uh, Augustine fought uh, heartily for the unity of the church, mm. and that is found in the leader of the church. And as you've already right. uh, pointed out, that certain cities. Began the bishop began to be the most important person in the church and certain cities held the most important uh, places for bishops to reside. And the bishop in certain cities um, would... And, and listen, in some of the persecutions, the bishops in Rome and Constantinople and Jerusalem were immediately put to death because huh. of the, the government understood these bishops to be in that role. Well, after Constantine... They really were elevated to places of importance. So Catholics c- claim Augustine. Why do Protestants claim Augustine?
0: Well, we'll see in about another millennium that there was another monk in the Augustinian order who, who really picked up on the other side of Augustine's writings, and that is grace. That he understood grace to be by God and it's the reason that we're saved. It's not any act of our own. It's not anything we can do to to even cooperate with God in our salvation. And uh, for for many years, for centuries, that teaching was lost in the Catholic Church uh, until it was recovered again by one Martin Luther.
1: And and he was uh, especially attracted to uh, Augustine's writings about grace and about the bondage of the will uh, earlier he had argued against the Manichees for freedom of the will now he's saying the will is only free and christ apart from christ it's not free and he said that because of his battle with one british monk named pelagius who had become a teacher in rome and had quite a bit of influence and uh pelagius actually started the fight but augustine finished it uh any more background you want to lay before we start looking at Pelagius teachings yeah. and how augustine
0: fought him uh, fought well, against those well let's look at who who is Pelagius uh, he was a british monk so i mean again this is the end of the the fourth century beginning of the fifth century so this is still roman rule um, he's up way up north into the the British isle and uh, he was not very well i actually believe he was a lawyer he before was a monk so he yes. was He's one of those you know, lawyers. you got to pray for those. But we'll see. Uh, Augustine, as a rhetorician, um, you see the battle of words beginning. And Augustine began, I believe it was in his Confessions, which is his autobiography, that he wrote as a prayer to God, command what you will and grant what you command, meaning that God, you know, command me to do whatever you want, but I can't do it. You have to give me the ability and the willingness to do it. And Pelagius saw that and it incensed him. He went raving mad. How can he, how can Augustine write such a prayer? God wouldn't command it unless he, unless we were able to do it. And thus began the, the controversy. So
1: in so doing, um, in so saying, Pelagius denied original sin. When Adam sinned, Uh, it only affected Adam. And in fact, Mm. that wasn't fatal. Um, Adam's sin, therefore, was not passed down from generation to generation. Uh, Sin is a social disease, not an inherited spiritual genetic disorder. Um, That's Pelagian's view of original sin. And death is not the result of sin. I mean, God just made man to die. Uh, He made him mortal, and Adam would have died anyway. Um, man is morally neutral with an absolutely free will. You've, you've had some things to say about this neutrality uh, of or man's neutral moral state.
0: Yeah, I, I think in order to defeat a Pelagian view, all one has to do is read the Bible. <laughs> I mean, we recognize that we are born into sin with a sin nature and that since that point, uh, our wills are... In bondage to to sin, we cannot choose God. Um, I believe the psalmist tells us that no one is righteous, no one follows after God, nor can we. Uh, and Pelagius, thought it was very, if we were to parallel him today, it would be humanist hmm. that that uh, it lies within man to follow after what is right. It's within the abilities of man to to save himself, basically. They, I don't think he believed it was necessary for, for divine grace at all, uh, only in certain circumstances, but we could actually attain salvation on our own. Christ was not our substitution or atonement, but rather an example.
1: Yes, uh, uh, Pelagius and, and, and Augustine both had ideas that were well ahead of their time. Mm. I mean, you think about Pelagius' idea of a, 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 of a neutral morality uh, that man has he he said that man is able both able not to sin and to sin. He he decides what to do. He was uh, Borgman says he was ahead of his time. He would have fit quite well in the Enlightenment. John Locke and the others. Tabula Rosa. Man is a blank slate, and you know it, it will be determined by man what what direction he goes.
0: So we're starting to string together through the centuries the effects right of of thought
1: right and and it would be a long time before. The church would accept all of Augustine's doctrine Mm -hmm. of grace. Uh, Pelagius also said that man had the ability to perfect himself in righteousness. And in fact, he can do this without any supernatural assistance. Mm -hmm. Uh, If God commands it, as you've already stated, it must be possible. Now, Pelagius is standing against Christianity. You've said just now, all you have to do is read the Bible. Uh, But really, there are People who are very much Pelagian or at least semi Pelagian in their thought today, who would agree to a lot of scripture but seem to have a, they get hung up on this idea of sin. Sin is always, according to uh, Pelagian, an act of the will. We do have a choice in the matter. It doesn't have the power to corrupt our nature or our real will. Human nature remains neutral. But that's just anti-biblical, isn't it? Yeah. Why, why is it appealing? I mean, that's appealing because...
0: Because it's the
1: power is ours. It's exactly. It's up to me. And we can perfect ourselves. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We don't have to rely on an outside God or a church or any, anything like that. The power is within us. Um, it, it's the same that you've, you've talked about in the pulpit. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can turn over your own leaf and start working out your salvation. There's no need for... Mm-hmm. Or a substitute, or for a, for God's grace.
1: Except that that always failed me. Yeah. I, I think that one of the one of the uh, tendencies of human nature that really actually can be seen almost across the board is that we we think of our own moral capacities as much higher than they really are. Yeah. You know, we want to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and we when we we start comparing ourselves with others as, as opposed to against God, we just need to try. A little harder. Well, now, a lot of people try to say, "Well, Pelagius had some good thoughts." Um, look, his doctrine was rotten at the core, and, mm-hmm. and and you can't mix that. There's no middle ground here. Mm-hmm. So, how did Augustine, um, how did he combat this heresy?
0: Well, I had to go back to Scripture, and and from Scripture, and and we can again link the centuries together. Um, people who think of the Reformation as and reformed churches as Calvinist. And it's been said Calvinist wasn't as much a Calvinist as he was in Augustinian. Yeah,
1: some people say Augustine was a, was Calvinist, a Calvinist, but it's, it,
0: it obviously doesn't work. And, and Augustine wasn't so much Calvinistic or Augustine as he was Pauline. And we can go back to the letters of Paul and see that it is by the operation of God's grace that man's nature is, um, we're given life.
1: So let's start with original sin. Uh, Augustine believed that man was corrupted, that when Adam fell, Adam was free not to sin before he fell.
0: Right, and there's some more Latin terms in there. There's a freedom not to sin, and there's a freedom to sin. Adam had that choice, and he chose to sin. But since then, we all have been enslaved to that decision, and now we only have the decision to to sin. sin.
1: Now, Augustine went on to believe... That once man is in Christ, now he has the freedom both to sin and the freedom not to sin. And when yeah. we're in heaven, we will only oh, have yeah. the freedom not to That's sin. So, you know, it comes full circle. But because Adam sinned, all of the human race, uh, Augustine believed that the human race was similarly present. We were all there. And I, I don't know if this makes sense. I've said this from the pulpit a few times, but more and more I see myself in the garden. It's mm. like I'm there making that decision to sin. I'm not mad at Adam and Eve. I would have messed it up if they, mm. they hadn't. But because they did, I have no choice but to sin. It's passed down to the human race, both legally and naturally. And um, and, and that leads to total depravity. What does that mean? Does that mean that I'm so depraved that, that I'm going to go out and rob right. a bank on my way home and just live any way that I want to?
0: It doesn't mean that we're as pe- as bad as we possibly could be. That would be maybe, totally deprived. I don't know. But, <laughs> totally uh, sinful, wicked. Uh, another way to determined is radical depravity. That means radical going to the root that we are depraved in the sense that to our very core, there's no part of us unaffected by, by sin's curse and, and our own nature of sin.
1: And Augustine didn't actually use the term, but that's exactly what he he meant, wasn't it? That we are corrupted to the core. Our minds are fallen, therefore we cannot perceive truth. Uh, Our bodies are fallen, therefore they decay and die. Uh, Our wills are in bondage to our nature, which is fallen. Therefore, man is in his fallen state and unable not to sin. It's impossible for us not to sin. Uh, it'd be like not blinking, you know. Um, it'd be like not sleeping. We have to sin. Right. So then that leads us to efficacious grace. What does efficacious
0: mean? Well, what is efficacious? It's, it's, it reached the effect that it was intended to do. Hmm. So efficacious grace is always the grace that God uses in calling um, people to to him, that when he reaches out, and chooses us, He gives us grace to see Him as He is, it will always have its in- intended effect, that it will always reach us, renew the core, give us the life that, that we lost at birth, and and then regenerate. That's where we get regeneration, is that if God intends to enlighten us and give us that spiritual life, that's what we have. We will be regenerated into a new birth.
1: Um, if the first two are true, if original sin and total depravity are true, then apart from the grace of God, we have no hope. If, if, if he doesn't work, then we don't become saved. God must go before us. He must convict. He must renew. He must call us. He must regenerate. Right. He must do everything if man is able to to, to be saved. We can't do anything apart from... From God working uh, with and through us. It's a grace that goes through and brings salvation. It goes all the way through our will, willfulness, our, our, our willful sin, our uh, our condition of sin that we inherited and chose both uh, and, and brings us to salvation. Um, so uh, we're going to see that. Much greater detail. Neil, you're the clock keeper. How much time do we have?
0: Well, I think we're going to take a break right here, and when we come back, we're going to have a short session, uh, wrapping up some of the effects uh, or, or maybe lasting legacies of Augustine Augustine's uh, work, and um, and then we can roll on from there. Maybe a little, few of uh, more anecdotes from from his life and theology. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to mention about nope, Pelag- nope. and controversy?
1: Nope, nope, I don't, I, I don't think so. Uh, Pelagius was ultimately condemned, and even those who were sort of Pelagian.
0: Yeah, there was a, an attempt to find a middle ground, but there really is no middle right. ground between God or, or right. us. Right. It's, it, it's just like the Arians
1: tried to find a middle ground. There right. is no middle ground. That, and that's why it's so important to, to be precise about our theology. I've said things in the past that I just shudder to think about now because... Uh, they may have sounded good, but they weren't biblically sound. Mm-hmm. And so let's take that break, and then let's talk about
0: why we're Augustinian today. Back in a moment. Well, for this last session, we want to take a look at some of the impactful things of, of Augustine and uh, maybe some of his writings and why they're important even, even today. Uh, Brad, do you want to talk about, uh, I think there's a, an interesting autobiography Yes, there is. It's written in the form of a prayer. Uh, you've got it here now. Confessions.
1: Uh, the spiritual journey that shaped Western Christianity. This is built as Augustine wrote uh, his autobiography uh, in the form of a prayer. And it's right on the very first page, the first page or two, where that wonderful uh, quote that you gave a little bit earlier about thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find repose in the uh, that Augustine said that I think one of the things that interests me about Confessions is that it reads and it has a very contemporary feel to it so much of the ancient literature doesn't
0: feel that way but mm-hmm. this does I mean a little, little different but yeah the, the language I mean there are times where you still have to make up for the amount of time but we're talking Sixteen hundred years have passed, and, and this is still in print by by many publishers. is very um, powerful, and I've tried reading it. You can see my book, my bookmark. I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. It, you don't want to pick it up in one night. No, and it's read it's very it devotional, isn't it? Yeah, it, you need to read it as a devotion. Yes, and
1: uh, so many beautiful, wonderful thoughts. He's so honest in this uh, book of confessions. It's exactly as he, he says. He's, he's pouring his heart out to the Lord. He tells the story of his struggle against God. about how the God wrestled him to the ground and brought
0: him into the kingdom of God. The hound of heaven found him. And he, he attributes that to, to his mother's prayers. Another uh, huge work
1: of Augustine is a book called The City of God. It's a book that I read in seminary. And uh, as I've already alluded to, had some really interesting um, things in there his thoughts about uh, the, the the struggles with the flesh but uh, the City of God was essentially written because Augustine saw this societal decay and I think a lot of people had hoped when Constantine took over that the kingdom of God had come yeah. well Augustine says no not only is the kingdom of God not come, but rome is being punished for its sin because these east germanic tribes the vandals had conquered and now were at his uh, on the way to being in his doorsteps it was uh, only a matter of time before they would get there uh, anything uh, that sticks out to you when you're thinking about the city of god
0: yeah I, I think um as many of augustine's writings and many of theology down through the ages it, it came as a response Something and the response was, the, the old traditional Romans were saying, "You let Christianity in here, and that's what weakened the empire." And we already talked about that. No, it's not Christianity that destroyed the empire. The empire is man's city, and God's city is is true and forever is, is not going anywhere. And and I think through it we see uh, a Christian philosophy of time and history and man's relation to God, as well as man's relation to Christians' relationship to uh, to government. You know, it's
1: interesting, almost, uh, not not quite a hundred years have passed since Constantine has, well, actually, right at a hundred years, but when, when Constantine has legalized Christianity, and so many in the church thought that the kingdom of God had come to the earth, and now that the as you say the kingdom of man is saying the church has weakened the empire and augustine identifies it properly and and essentially says no uh the empire has weakened the church and in fact it led him to one of the very last works that he that he uh, composed was a work on predestination and this was not widely accepted for a long time in the church but Augustine believed that God only chooses a few to receive His grace, and the reasons lie in the hidden determinism of God, determinations of God. It's God's business about why He chooses, who He chooses, all of that. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Augustine, like so many great men of God, died sort of in a depressed state. Hmm. Uh, The vandals were at the gate, and he just saw uh, so many people who had uh, walked away from the doctrines of grace and the purity of the church, and 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 he died just before Hippo fell, but and depressed, and yet the lasting impact of this man is phenomenal, which ought to say something to us about the impact that we're having. So often we're destroyed either by our own actions or by the actions of others, and yet God maybe creating a legacy uh, through us that is far beyond what we
0: could have hoped. Yeah, it can be discouraging or encouraging depending on from which aspect we're, we're looking at. It. It's discouraging if we look around us and see all our efforts basically good for nothing because of the, the world around us. And, and yet, it's encouraging because our hope is not in this life. And that was the point of the city of God as well as all of His work is that God's work it continues, that uh, the kingdom uh, is is not here on this earth not yet, and and eschatology is an interesting. It may be a discussion for another day, but here in the, the fourth and early fifth century, we saw a conversion of premillennial to postmillennial, and now amillennial, and and all that shifting within the theological framework. And but our hope is is not in any kingdom of
1: man. And let me I, I want to say this uh, right now because I know we're running out of time. But... Pre-millennial, the idea that Christ is going to return to the earth and establish His kingdom and, and reign for a thousand years. Post-millennial, the idea that the church is going to get better and better and, and, and man is going to get better and better and more like Jesus until we usher in the kingdom. Jonathan Edwards was another one who thought, in fact, Jonathan Edwards thought about the year 2000, America would lead the way in bringing people to Christ. Uh, hardly. That's not the case. Augustine was an a Ah, man, no, no millennial. Uh, I've heard someone say it means ah, there ain't gonna be no millennium. But he believed that the millennium was spiritual, that the thousand-year reign of what God was doing in the church—it was just. But, but Augustine had a. He often interpreted scripture allegorically. He didn't look at a literal sense of the meaning. I think though his philosophy impacted his belief about millennial. If you believe that there's a material world and a spiritual world, and he didn't believe it like the Manichees did, Correct. but he did see the spiritual as good and the material as really struggling and, and hopeless apart from God. So if you believe that, why would you think Christ would want to set up a kingdom in this world? on this earth. In fact, Augustine believed that the world would just disintegrate and God would bring an entirely new heaven and new earth. Most theologians, most Reformed theologians today would believe that the earth is going to be cleansed but dead quality. But when God created the earth, it was good. And so, he's not done with it. It's under bondage, but it will be restored to its original state. And that may require... Scrubbing the surface of the earth. I don't know. You know, maybe that's that second like Peter uh, nuclear explosion that people want to think about. Who knows? But uh, I, I, so again, I believe Augustine's philosophy. is and he, he loved Plato. He called Plato the philosopher, and uh, and you see that creeping into his theology, and we'll see Aristotle creeping into uh, Aquinas, and so these Greek philosophers impact theologians and we have to acknowledge that but we also need to be careful. Well Augustine um, we're running out of time I'm going to let you
0: wrap this up here. Sure Uh, I think a a very interesting quote and unfortunately these Christian history magazines are are now out of print but there's some way that you can get your hands on on these There are discs actually available uh, that you can download the whole thing and, and before I read this quote I also want to mention that we'll make uh, a link to a free version of the confessions available mm-hmm. under resources this week and also definitely after you finish listening to us get online and listen to Brian Borkman's oh, yes. audio of, of Augustine I believe he does two sessions yes. Augustine another session or two on the plagian controversy and Athanasius go back and hear what he says about Athanasius wonderful Very wonderful good stuff. sessions um, But but let's end Augustine with this quote most theologians define their positions in relationship, in relation to Augustine's doctrines. Almost all of them can appeal to something in the great North African church father, and almost all of them neglect some aspects of his teaching in favor of others. But no one after him can ignore him. Augustine's teaching on these and other controversial subjects have determined much of the agenda for Christian theology for a millennium and a half. Amen.
1: Uh, That's about all that needs to be said. Thank you so much. I hope you explore the writings of this man much greater. Because they're going to lead you to Jesus.